Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Dabelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. Greece has created its first ever ministerial post to exclusively handle the fallout from climate change in the wake of this summer's devastating wildfires, and it has brought in a former European Union crisis management expert for the role. Christos Tiriannidis, a Cypriot national who previously served as the EU Commissioner for Humanitarian Aid and Crisis Management, was sworn in as minister on Friday last week. His appointment highlights how climate change challenges have vastly expanded for governments in recent years to also include handling severe events such as floods, heat waves, and wildfires. Yanis Paleologos, Kathimarini's Brussels correspondent, joins the Greek Current to talk about this new ministry Greece is setting up and the appointment of Christos Tiriannidis. Yanni, welcome back to the Greek Current. It's great to have you on with us. Great to be back, Sano. Yanni, before we get into who Christos Tiliannidis is and why his appointment is significant, I want to look at the new ministry Greece has set up to handle climate change and its impact, whether it's wildfires or other extreme disasters. Why is the creation of this ministry an important step for Greece, and what will its responsibilities be? So it's a very important development, given what we've seen in the last few years. We saw the devastating flood in Mandra in Western Africa in 2017, 24 people dead. The fire in Mati, of course, in 2018, more than 100 people dead. We had the massive fires this summer where, thankfully, there was no loss of life, but, you know, a tremendous amount of forest land was burned, including, according to one calculation, one-sixth of all remaining forests in Africa. And also, you know, we have the pandemic that's still ravaging Greece and Europe and the whole world. And Sticking for a moment to the climate front, I mean, there is a Ministry of the Environment and Energy which will handle the issues relating to the policy that has to be put in place to reduce the emissions of the country in the coming years according to EU targets as well. But this ministry is about dealing with the consequences of the climate change that's already occurred, and we're seeing with increasing frequency that these consequences are quite, quite intense. Few, if any, European governments have such a post currently or such a ministry. Do you think that this is a trend that will change across the continent as the effects of climate change become more and more evident and as the European Union looks to accelerate collective action on this front? Yeah, I I do think it's a trend that will become stronger over time. I mean, we saw really devastating floods also this summer in Belgium and Germany. We saw forest fires in many other European countries of the Mediterranean It's clear that the existing state structures are not enough to deal with what's already happening in terms of consequences of climate change. And of course, I think both these kinds of disasters, but also the pandemic, which it undermined the extent to which one member state can offer solidarity to another because they were all hit by this pandemic at the same time. So that really strengthens the arguments for the creation of collective capacity of the EU itself to step in when member states cannot help each other. And that, of course, is something that uh, Christos Tiliannidis pioneered as a commissioner uh, of the EU. And we'll get into that just now. Let's talk about Christos Tiliannidis, the man who's going to be at the helm of Greece's new climate crisis and civil protection ministry. What can you tell us about his political trajectory leading up to this and the decision by the Greek government to select him? So Christos Tiliannidis, he's a a Cypriot Greek. He's been a fervent pro-European already since his student days in the 1980s, when this was far from being a majority opinion in Cyprus at the time. 
he first became a government spokesman under Velasco's Clearidos in the late 90s and played a significant role in the run-up to the Helsinki European Council, which opened the way for Cyprus to join the European Union without the resolution of the Cyprus issue as a precondition. And he was also government spokesman, which we should note is a very powerful position in the Cypriot government in the days of 2013-2014 during the Cypriot financial crisis, at which time you know, there were options discussed because the terms of the bailout from the EU were quite onerous. There were those who said that Cyprus should seek help outside the European Union, for example, in Russia. Stylianidis was one of the people who were very adamant that that should not happen, that there should be a European solution, and that under no circumstances should Cyprus leave the euro. And then in 2014, he was appointed commissioner in the Juncker Commission for Humanitarian Aid and Crisis Management. What can you tell us about the role that he played as EU commissioner? Because on day one, he had to deal with a public health crisis in Western Africa, and that was the Ebola crisis. And he was also instrumental in setting up RESC-EU, a European-wide crisis response agency. So to be precise, he had to deal with the Ebola crisis even before day one. He was due to take up his role as commissioner, I think, on November 1st. And he was appointed as the EU-wide coordinator on Ebola a few days earlier. And, you know, this was a time when there was a lot of fear in Europe about the possibility of the epidemic spreading into Europe. This was, of course, a disease with a very, very high mortality rate. And Sidanidis was very proactive in his approach. He almost immediately made a trip to the three countries affected, Liberia, Guinea, and Sierra Leone in, in West Africa. He was, you know, despite the reservations of his staff and his security team, he would go into hospitals, he would meet with survivors, you know, he wasn't afraid to get in there and, and talk to people who were affected by this deadly disease. And he was instrumental in working both with the U.S., who's uh, the person who had the same role in the U.S., the role of coordinator, was Ron Klain, who's now the chief of staff to President Biden. But he was also instrumental in getting the three countries to cooperate with each other and form a sort of a, a common response, which was key in the following months in getting the epidemic under control. And uh, Rescue U, in a sense, partly grew out of his uh, experiences with Ebola. It was a realization that, you know, as we were saying earlier, the European Union needs to strengthen its capacity both to coordinate between member states when one can help another, you know, when there's a, a forest fire in Greece, other countries like Italy and Spain can send planes, but even more so the idea of, of a reserve of, you know, equipment and planes and other things that can help in the case of an emergency, especially if it's an emergency that hits many countries together, then this kind of collective EU force can step in and, and help out. He's obviously been engaged with a lot of other European politicians, and even on the international stage, as you mentioned, he's worked mm-hmm. with President Biden's current chief of staff. How do these relationships and how does the impression that he's left on the European level equip him to take on this new role in Greece? So the Ebola experience and then, of course, his term as commissioner, where the the creation of, of Rescue U was rated as one of the top 20 achievements of the Juncker Commission. So that gave him even wider recognition. But both of these things, you know, made him a player on a bigger stage. And also, you know, from what we know from his time in the Juncker Commission, he was much beloved by colleagues. He was always willing to go beyond his portfolio to help out with the initiatives of others. So he has a very good name in Brussels, a lot of respect. And of course, he knows 
the way the EU works and he knows both the kinds of things that need to be done to strengthen rescue you further and the impetus for this is there because of the pandemic but also to make sure that those resources are available for Greece in future disasters and crises. Working on the European and international level is going to be very different than working in the environment in Athens and in Greece. What are the hurdles that you think he'll have to overcome in Greece and some of the main challenges? So, you know, he's someone who doesn't have direct experience of Greek public administration and, and you know, it's many sort of traps And it's also the case that under his direct control, he will only have the fire department and not other security services like the police or the Coast Guard. So it'll be crucial to see how well the minister responsible for those forces will cooperate with him when it becomes necessary. And there is an issue with the fact that he's an outsider. You know, there there is some grumbling in the party at the fact that Mr. Dikes didn't choose someone from the parliamentary group of Nedemokratia, but someone not just outside it, but in fact, you know, outside the country itself. I think both of these things are manageable. I think it's positive that he has no, in a stronger way than most, he doesn't have the fear of the political cost because he's been mentioned as a possible candidate for the Cypriot presidential elections of 2023. It's very unlikely that he will want to continue his political career in Greece after his stint as minister. So he has more reason than others to just try to do what he thinks is right, to pursue what the right policy is, and, you know, damn the political consequences. You mentioned that there's some grumbling within the Nea Dimokratia party of Kyriakos Mitsotakis, but what's the overall sentiment in Greece? I mean, what kind of reactions are we seeing to his appointment? So I think generally the reaction was quite positive. It was felt that there was, we should give the background here, there was a another person who was picked for this new ministry, the former Minister of Defense under Syriza, Admiral Apostolakis, and that didn't turn out so well for the government. He seemed to accept the position, but then when there was a very negative reaction from uh, Syriza, he turned it down. So that was an attempt by Mr. Mitsotakis to find a consensus non-party candidate for this very important job, which sort of blew up in his face. But then You know, coming back with someone like Christos Lianidis, you know, no one can argue that he doesn't have the knowledge and the right background for this job. He has the European connections, which are absolutely crucial for building up capacity for Greece on these critical fronts. And I think it's been very hard for opposition commentators and politicians, however much they were inclined to, to find something specifically at fault with the person of Lianidis himself. It was more like, you know, they, they were forced to just make the argument that Nedmokratia's bench is so weak that Mr. Mitsotakis had to resort to a Cypriot for the position. Yanni, thanks for joining us again on The Greek Current. Always great chatting with you. Thank you. In other news, Greece's economy will grow 5.9% during 2021, far more than the original 3.6% estimate Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis said at the Thessaloniki International Fair. The faster growth gave Mitsotakis the fiscal space to announce a range of tax reductions and spending targeted at young people, small businesses, and the middle class. Mitsotakis also put an emphasis on climate change, adding that his government will work to ensure a swift transition to renewable energy. To help with this transition, and also to counteract rising electricity prices, the government will set aside a 150 million euro fund to help consumers absorb the price increases. Additionally, about 24 billion euros will be invested in environmentally friendly projects with the help of EU funds. Finally, 
France on Sunday confirmed that Greece had agreed to buy six more of its Rafale jets, bringing the total number of French fighter jets sold to Athens to 24. In January, Athens placed an order for 18 of the planes, 12 of them secondhand, in a 2.5 billion euro deal aimed at boosting Greece's defense. On Saturday, Greece's Prime Minister revealed plans to acquire an additional six Rafales during the Thessaloniki International Fair, adding that the first aircraft, a secondhand model from France's own Air Force, would be flying Greek colors before the end of the year. Commenting on the development, France's Defense Minister tweeted, Together, we are working to build true European autonomy. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.